is it you haven't seen the god song psycho? Bro, you have seen Taxi Driver. when Harry met Sally. Hello and welcome to another episode of FilmWise, also known as the Why Haven't You Seen This <coughs> Also known as the Why Haven't You Seen This Film Podcast. I am Bubba Weeds, as always, from Flights, Tights, and Movie Nights, and today my guest is Jess from French Toast Sunday. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. And if you couldn't tell from uh, my little hoarse voice in the intro, um, I'm excited to, to start a uh, a brief little series, uh, or I guess I could call it an event here at FilmWise, and that is because over the next few episodes, we are going to be covering all things Batman. And so I have found three different guests who have not seen the the entire uh, Christopher Nolan Batman Dark Knight trilogy. And so today we are going to be starting off with Batman Begins, but it's, it's still going to be a regular episode. If you uh, can tell from the, uh, the opening, the opening soundbite, but, um, so for the next three episodes, I have found three guests who haven't seen uh, at least one of the three movies. So we are going to be covering Batman Begins, followed by The Dark Knight, and finishing off with The Dark Knight Rises. And there's also going to be a couple film-wise extras where we talk about the uh, the older Batman movies from Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher, as well as going over some of the DC animated Batman videos that, uh, that went straight to DVD and then... At the end of it all, uh, hopefully I will have all three of my guests back to just briefly do a film-wise extra talking about the Christopher Nolan trilogy as a whole. But before we get to all that, first we need to know a little bit more about Jess, so why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you online. Okay, you can find me writing at frenchtoastsunday.com. You can also find the French Toast Sunday podcast there. And you can find our Twitter feed at FTS Tweets. Um, and we have a bunch of other writers, so um, it's not just me on there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and like I said, and you have been on this show before. Uh, actually, not it hasn't been too long ago since you've been on where we talked yeah, it's about just been a few months. Uh, to, Pit, to Kill a Mockingbird and Unbreakable. Um, mm-hmm. And so since this is your second round, I have a few different questions for you this time. And just to cover some of your first-time answers to know your movie with watching tastes a little bit better, your three movies that you'd seen the most often and haven't gotten tired of yet were Dirty Dancing, The Breakfast Club, and Pulp Fiction. Your favorite movie that you had only seen once has been was Goodfellas. Uh, have you had a chance to watch that one a second time yet? No, I haven't, sadly enough. I really should, though. Yeah, it's not surprising because, like you said, it's o- it's only been uh, just a couple months back. Um, if you were to write for a narrow niche of movies, you would pick Hitchcock movies. Uh, your biggest film wise at the time was The Godfather. And have you caught that in the past couple months? <laughs> no, but it's actually <laughs> playing at a theater in Baltimore in in next month. Um, in October, so I definitely am going to see it there. Oh, that's it's a great! Must. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, 
if I had the chance to see that in, in theaters, I, I would definitely take that. And your favorite superhero movie is The Avengers, along with half the country, probably. Um, all right. And so for this round, I have a few more questions for you. So what is a film that you enjoy that everyone else hates? Um, there's a few of these, but one that I was thinking about recently was the live adaptation of Where the Wild Things Are. Hmm. Uh, have you seen that? Uh, I've seen bits of it. My, my daughter's seen it, but uh, I haven't sat and watched the whole thing with her. Okay. Yeah, um, when it came out, it seemed like people just didn't really like it. Like, it, it was sort of... It, it was sort of in this weird space between seeming like a kid's movie but being too sad, really, to be a kid's movie. Um, but I went and saw it because I just always had an attachment to that story when I was a child. And I really love Spike Jones, so I uh, just went for it. And leading up to it, I listened obsessively to the soundtrack because it was made by Karen O., in a little side project called Karen O and the Kids, and mm. I love Yeah Yeah Yeahs. They're probably my favorite band. So I started gearing up this soundtrack, and so when I finally saw it with the film, it just all came together for me, and I really liked it. Um, but then afterwards, most of the reaction when I've talked to other people is that they did not care for it. Yeah, I, I am curious to, to catch it at some point in time because it, it looks like one of those kind of slightly dark children's fantasies that, that I generally enjoy. Um, yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. It's kind of sad. It's yeah. sort of like when you look back at the never-ending story and you're like, that's actually pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, especially the, the swamp of sadness scene. Yeah, yeah. That one's for sure way too sad for a kid. All right, and there are many bad superhero movies out there especially some so bad they're good and and i'm a fan of those those types of movies so what is your favorite so bad it's good movie troll 2 hmm. have you seen this that is not that's probably the top two um so bad it's good movies that i haven't seen yet <laughs> and I, i've heard a lot about it i I know there's even that documentary, uh, which I yeah. forget what it's called. The best it's worst. It's called movie. best worst movie. Yeah, and it, it's I don't know. It looks like a treat. It is awful. <laughs> it is so laughably ridiculously awful that if you watch it, you can't help but one be completely confused about what's going on and how it was made, and two like laugh hysterically the whole time. <laughs> There's way too many scenes that are just and and lines of dialogue that are will blow your mind how terrible they are. Yeah, and and then the other one that I haven't seen yet, which makes me really disappointed that I didn't make it to Saturday night's um, <laughs> Chicago meetup, is the uh, the room because I've seen a, a few clips of that and it it looks like. A really fun, bad movie to watch. It is awful. That one's <laughs> a little, more, slightly more painful to watch than Troll 2, because I was just angry. Like, <laughs> it was really bad, but it it doesn't have sort of like, when you watch Troll 2, you're almost like lightheartedly hating it. When I was watching The Room, I was like legitimately hating it, because, <laughs> I mean, it was fun, a fun hate watch, but I was just so mad at everything that was happening. Yeah, I I can see that, especially if I've thought the mini sex scene. 
does not seem like a very comfortable thing to watch. Oh, definitely not. Especially because they show basically the same exact extended sex scene twice in the movie. <laughs> All right. And uh, in my first round, I asked, what are your what are three of your favorites that you've seen the most often and haven't gotten tired of? So is there a film that used to be a favorite that you have seen so many times, but now you've just gotten tired of it just because of how many times you've seen it? Um, well, this movie, I, I thought about it when I was reading this question, but it's sort of a caveat because I'm not completely tired of it. I still do enjoy it, but I sort of wore myself thin on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really obsessed with Breakfast at Tiffany's for a while to the point where I was like, I would put it in like every other day as I was going to bed or something. And I still really adore it, but I've, it's gotten to the point where I'm like, this You've movie. built up a buffer. It's like, I can go about five years before I I can uh, <laughs> come back to it and, and really appreciate it again. Yeah, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, yeah, I love Audrey Hepburn in it, and she's amazing. And the movie does have its really good parts, but all the bad parts stick out so much more after you've seen it a few times. Like, well, it's really not hard to spot um, uh, Mickey Rooney's, like, terrible Asian... <laughs> impression it i mean from the first time it's like really this is horrible but then after you've watched it a few times you don't even want to see it like you just wish that you could just skip past that one scene real fast and go on to the next and then there's one segment of the movie involving her like past life before she moved to new york city that i will skip the scene every single time and I, it used to be like, oh, Breakfast at Tiffany's is my favorite movie, but I've come to realize that it's actually not, and I probably even like Roman Holiday way more than Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those, after you watch something that you really love, it wears a little bit thin. Yeah. yeah. All right, and uh, another one of my favorite genres of movies, or not really genres, because I, I don't like to call either of them genres, but my another favorite category of movies <laughs> besides superhero movies is animated movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is your favorite animated movie? So I had a really hard time deciding on an answer to this question because I watched every movie, every Disney animated movie so many times as a kid that as I was going through the list, I was like, I love Sleeping Beauty, but I love Beauty and the Beast and I love (laughs) Robin Hood. And it was so hard to narrow it down to one that I just completely threw them all out. And I went with Fantastic Mr. Fox. Nice. Yeah, that's one that I haven't seen yet, but I I would really like to because I'm... Like, besides traditional animation, I also really love stop-motion animation. Like, just today, just earlier, um, like, I got a another free trial of Netflix. Like, I'm not a regular subscriber, but uh, um, I've got Netflix for a month again, and uh, my daughter was watching Paranorman, and, and I caught the last half of that with her, and, and that's, that's a really great movie, too. I love that style, and... It's just so interesting to watch, and I have so much respect for animation in general, but that in particular just looks incredibly hard and time-consuming and so much effort to go into it. Um, I watched all these behind-the-scenes featurettes on it, and it just looked like an incredible process to put together. And then the movie itself, like, I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan, so I love the story and the writing and all of that. But then combining that with such an amazing presentation, 
it was pretty easy to pick this as my favorite animated movie. Yeah, that's, that definitely sounds like a good choice from what I've heard. And another thing that I like to do with my return guests is that I'm always the one asking the questions. So I like to give second-time guests an opportunity to ask a few questions to me to get to know more of my movie-watching tastes outside of the superhero genre. So uh, why don't you go ahead and ask me the, the questions that you that you came up with. Okay. So my first one, I'll change the wording since you clarified you don't like the genre. <laughs> so I'll say category. I was going to say besides the superhero category, what else do you, what other category would you say you enjoy the most? But then I gave you a little instruction that just because they're too similar, I didn't want you to include any action slash adventure or sci-fi. I didn't really want those to be on the table. And I also d- took off animation because I had a feeling that's what your answer would be. Yeah, and and I've I've talked about my I believe I've talked about my love of animation more than once here on this podcast. But uh, if I were to to narrow it down to a, another ca- um, genre or category of movies, I would say that I really love what I what I would call surreal fantasy, something like Alice in Wonderland. And even outside of like that that kind of genre, like The Cell, uh, okay. with uh, Jennifer Lopez, and there's also a really great Asian kind of horror movie called Recycle. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of a similar tale of this, and it's just something that's that's very highly visually stylized, and, and just something that takes me to a fantastic world that's that comes from someone's imagination like pan's labyrinth is another good example that is yeah no that's a really cool answer i love pan's labyrinth yeah Um, and and like outside of that genre i just love seeing these different worlds from um from the filmmakers imaginations whether it's animated or cgi or something outside of that even like labyrinth is a is another good example yeah um Next question. What was your best movie theater experience? I would say that this one is pretty easy. Um, I would I have been lucky enough to to go to a uh, a couple different theatrical screenings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And those are always just so much more fun than just seeing a regular movie. Uh, I I can't think of any any theatrical experience that even comes close as far as fun as a as either of the times that I've been to the Rocky Horror Picture Show in theater well not not specifically in theaters because both times it was like a, at a, it was showing like at a school like in the gymnasium or or something like a makeshift yeah. theater uh, but but both times it, it was a lot of fun and just seeing it with a crowd and and the interactive experience. Uh, although I I would probably say that the first time that I went to it was a lot more fun uh, because I it was like a, a couple years after I'd gotten out of high school and I had seen a, a handful of my high school classmates there dressed up uh, <laughs> in the the Rocky Horror Picture Show garb like. Um, I had one the one friend that dressed up as Columbia, and it, it was just weird to like weird but kind of a treat just to see them yeah outside of the the classroom aspect in this in this sort of setting and it was a lot of fun. 
Um, I got to see, well, when I was in college, they'd put on a um, screening where they had all the participation and everything. Mm. But it, it, it was really awesome and funny, but I think it wasn't as legit. Like, there's more legit versions of, like, the theater show mm. that I definitely, um, there's always one every Halloween and somehow it always happens sometime I can't go. But yeah. I really want to go again. Yeah, the, the audience is really a, a good part of what makes the experience fun. Like, the most recent time I went to see it, I actually saw, it wasn't the Rocky Horror Picture Show, it was the Rocky Horror Show, the uh, the stage play version okay. um, here out in the Chicago, the suburbs of Chicago. And it had a really poor audience participation. And, like, it was still a lot of fun, but it wasn't nearly as fun because it, it was a really stuck-up audience, I, oh. I would say. Because I guess it was in more of, a like, a classy um, uh, stage yeah. area where where they're used to showing, like, ballets and, I guess, more serious plays. And then, Did you know what they were getting into? I guess I, I don't know, but it's, there there was hardly any inter- audience interaction, and and it it was still fun, but not as fun as it could have been. Yeah. Um, what is one actor and one actress that instantly makes you want to see whatever movie they're in? Well, I, I would have to say that that both my answers are kind of a cheat. Um, and, and I'll get into that here in, in, a, in just a second. But as far as the actor goes, um, I, I say it's a cheat because he's not primarily known as an actor, and that's Kevin Smith. Okay. Uh, but besides seeing all the movies that, that he writes and directs, I, yeah. I do like to go out and see the the films that he does get involved in as an actor, like um, – uh, Southland Tales, yeah, he had a small cameo in that. Yeah. Uh, Catch and Release was another one where he had a bigger role, and uh, even uh, he even did a like a two or three episode run on uh, Degrassi Junior High. <laughs> yeah. And, and they released that as a like a standalone DVD set that contained those episodes, and, and yeah. I and I got that because he was in it. <laughs> Yeah, I actually saw a um, Degrassi. It wasn't in junior high, but it was a Degrassi um, special, like sort of one-off special episode that he was in where some of the characters went to Hollywood mm. and he showed up in it. Yeah, and that I'm one like, I hadn't seen yet. Yeah, I think he loves Degrassi. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's well known for his love of Degrassi. Like, <laughs> I, I think in one of his early movies, somebody wears a uh, Degrassi junior high jacket. I, I think it might be Mallrats and uh, um, Shannon Doherty. Whereas, like, something Degrassi Junior High. <laughs> and as far as the actress goes, it's not so much my choice, but my wife's choice. <laughs> um, but I, I do, like, I do enjoy most of the work that she's been in, but it's definitely my wife is the primary reason for me to see anything that she's in, and that is Kristen Kruk. And she's oh. best, yeah, she's best known as playing Lana Lang in Smallville. But I, I think I've seen pretty much her entire filmography. Like, she got started out in, uh, not Degrassi, but another Canadian teenage drama called Edgemont. I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Is it I'm, like Degrassi, or is it like a different... Yeah, it, it's pretty much just like Degrassi. It ran for, <laughs> um, I don't know, like five or six seasons. Uh, have you seen Battlestar Galactica, the new one? No. Uh, the, well, there's there's an actress that's, that shows up... Um, 
that went on to be in the new Battlestar Galactica, Grace Park. Okay. Um, and and there's been a couple of other actors from that show that have gone on to do other, like more B movies. <laughs> one thing that's funny is one of the the actresses that that was in that show. Uh, I've seen her pop up lately in a lot of these uh, direct to DVD Steven Seagal movies <laughs> because I've been like solicited to help um, to help promote those through like email press releases so i look at trailers and i was like oh that's the girl from edgemont <laughs> she's and, making a career for herself yeah and my wife also like has a long time love for that um it was a hallmark channel snow white movie <laughs> that had miranda richardson playing the evil queen and Kristen krug as snow white it was really cheesy <laughs> Yeah, I can but, imagine that though. Yeah, and and then, but she's done other more serious stuff. Like right now, she's on Beauty and the Beast, which is also kind of a cheesy show along the lines of Smallville. Yeah. Um, but she did a a an indie movie called Vampire, which is really interesting. It's um, it had like a DVD release at Walmart where you can find it, but it's like about this guy that um. That drains, that finds these suicidal women, and he drains their blood to, in order to help them commit suicide, and then he drinks it. Hmm. And Kristen Kruk plays one of these women. That's an interesting take on it. And uh, let's see, another one that she's been in, which is a really great movie um, that I did also get to see in theaters, but it wasn't that great of an experience because it was a like at a at a B movie festival, but. We were the only two people in that showing. Oh my god! Because I guess nobody had ever heard of it. It's called Space Milkshake. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah, and it, it has uh, Robin Dunn, uh, Amanda Tapping, and um, Billy Boyd. And it's it's kind of like a Red Dwarf type movie. But you like it? Yeah, it, it's really funny. It's really cheesy. And it has the voice of George Takei playing basically <laughs> this, uh, this scientist trapped in a dimensional portal that where he shows up as this rubber ducky and it's this rubber ducky that starts mutating into this giant tentacle beast. Oh my gosh, that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> um well my last question is what is your biggest pet peeve when it comes to movies? I would say that my biggest pet me- pet peeve as far as a movie like a a movie a filmmaker sin to commit is the is predictability like uh, there's been many times where like uh, I, I hate to push it on her but some of the the cheesy romantic comedies that my wife likes to watch <laughs> yeah she'll pick out and we'll They're watch so it formulaic right and, and within 10 like the, it's been it's happened more than once well where we'll sit down and watch the movie like the most recent one was um i think like uh uh, confessions of a, not confessions of a shopaholic, but it was like the knockoff of that with uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Oh my gosh, I don't even know. <laughs> but we we started watching that, and um, we watched about ten minutes, and then I'm like, okay, I know exactly how this film goes out, and then I just kind of painted the what happens in the film in kind of broad strokes, and she's like, have you seen this film before? <laughs> Because <laughs> she had already watched it once. And, yeah. And it's like, you got that, like, almost 90% perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's sad, because it's just, 
you know there you could do something a little better, but I guess it's easier to just write the easiest script possible. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that um, thank you for those questions. They, they were uh, interesting. Before we get to the uh, Nolan trilogy, we're going to talk about the film, uh, another film that you had me watch for the first time, When Harry Met Sally. Bruce? Rachel? You were gone a long time. I know. A faceless guy rips off your clothes, and that's the sex fantasy you've been having since you were 12. I spent a lot of time being scared for you. I heard you were back. But the man I loved, the man who vanished, never came back. I took her to a place that wasn't human. She actually me out. Then you become something else entirely. Pretty much want to nail him, too. What do you fear? We did it. They did it. Guy dresses up like a bat. Clearly has issues. Well, I picked this because it just seemed like kind of a random choice. I think it's a really excellent movie, but since it is a romantic comedy, it, I guess, might get put under that label as, you know, a chick flick, but I think it actually is far better than what that label might mean to people. Um, and it's a movie that I've watched many, many times since I was a kid, um, since before I even understood what that sandwich scene meant. <laughs> um, <laughs> and even still, like, I'll usually catch it and watch it at least once a year. Um, so what do you think? Yeah, and um, like you said, before watching this movie, I knew a, a few things about it. Like, I obviously had had seen it and i knew of the uh i'll have what she's having seen in the day yeah. in the deli because that that's like one of the iconic scenes that pretty much everybody knows about even if they've never seen this movie but i did also know that this is kind of referred to as a romantic comedy for people that don't necessarily like romantic comedies like yeah. it, like it's it's not a typical romantic comedy. It's like head and shoulders above most of them, and that is exactly what I would what I would refer to it as. I, I think it's a very realistic take on a, a romantic comedy, and I really loved it. Good. I was hoping that you would. I feel like um, it's the kind of movie that a boy might watch when they were young, and they would be like. Oh, I could care less about this. <laughs> when you're older and you've kind of experienced it yourself, then it's like, I can easily relate to this and find like a lot of humor in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I was actually like a, a little surprised that um, as far as how old the characters are supposed to be in this movie, because it, it does kind of flash forward um, quickly it, it jumps a couple times, like a, five years ahead, and then another five years before really getting into the meat of it. When they're yeah. supposed to be, I, I guess, in their like early to mid thirties. Yeah, by the like the time it actually you know all comes together, they're in their thirties. When you're used to seeing, at least even if the actresses and actors aren't that age, they I feel like romantic comedies are usually supposed to be like you know twenty three to twenty five year olds. Mm-hmm. And and this definitely does feel uh, a lot I, like not so far as middle aged like they're still they still feel like uh, a young couple but it's it's uh, two people that have baggage behind them. Yeah, they've had you know all their different 
relationships already. It's not like their first big love or anything. Right. And that really helped uh, sell the realism. And one thing that I wasn't uh, entirely sure of, but I don't know, I, I think it does help to to help break up the movie and into the different sections is the the clips with the older couples, the the actors that are telling these stories about how they met. Yeah. So did you like that, or you could have um, been without it? it? It could go either way. It's I, it's something that I would have to maybe think about and digest some more because it does help to break up. Like, so you're not just jumping to five years later that. It gives like a, a little interstitial moment. Yeah, it's like a different editing choice. Mm-hmm. And, and I think in that respect, it, it works. Yeah, and they're cute, so it's not like it's uh oh not these again. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 cute. They're they're short. They're quick. Uh, but it, at the same time, I, I do kind of see that it doesn't really have any impact on the main story at all. Yeah. Um. So what did you think? Have so uh, have you seen um, like Sleepless in Seattle or You've Got Mail? Yes, I, I have actually seen both of those, but okay. it's it's been probably ten at least ten years since I've seen them. All right, so this wasn't your introduction to like '90s Meg Ryan at her height of rom com um, like domination, right? Because I was gonna say, you know, like what did you think about it? Because I feel like that sort of part of her career um, is what she's known for. And I think that she's amazing, like, in these roles. I think she's such a great, like, female character, and especially here as Sally. Like, she, I think, I love that whole character, and I think she's adorable. I think Meg Ryan's adorable. Yeah, and that's, it, she plays such a great character, and, and I read up a, a little bit on the, the trivia about how she's, somewhat based on Nora Ephron, uh, especially that the way she orders her food, which <laughs> always made me laugh when it, whenever they, they brought that up. And the, the one that, the one part that made me laugh the most was, I think it was about the third time that it shows up, uh, right whenever they, they have this kind of weird montage where it's the Harry and Sally talking over the phone. Yeah. But it's, uh, but it's also a montage just showing clips of, them hanging out with each other but you don't hear any of the sound of them hanging out it, it's all the audio is all just their the single phone conversation yeah. and you see just the visual of them at this asian restaurant and you see her talking to the waiter and to this asian waiter and then you see him like give this exa- exasperated <laughs> expression as he turns to harry yeah and it's like they they've set it up just perfectly just with the the two previous scenes the the first one at at the diner on their uh, road trip and then the second one on the plane that you know exactly what she's doing yeah um yeah i just think both of the characters are so well done like i i think billy crystal is so hilarious through the whole movie and i think they're such an interesting pairing because from the start they have some chemistry because they have, you know, their banter, but you can kind of see, like, they do not work together. But then as the movie goes, like, the, the people themselves, like, Harry and Sally themselves, they don't really change their personalities. They're still the same people from the beginning of the movie. It's just more about how over time, 
where you are in life and just becoming just a little bit mature and knowing what you want can make the same two people that once were completely incompatible, like a match made in heaven. Right. And and another movie that this reminded me of to a certain extent, especially as far as the dialogue is concerned, is like the before trilogy. Oh yeah. Which I I've I've still only seen the first um, the first one in that trilogy, but this felt like it in a way that it was the before trilogy squeezed together and put <laughs> into a single movie. Yeah, they just have this ease of talking to each other where. They, they can just say so much, but it just, it doesn't come out as like really scripty. Yeah. I think Nora Ephron is just, was just made a perfect screenplay. This was nominated for best uh, original screenplay, which is cool. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and Billy Crystal really does a great job with it. And, and he's, he manages to throw in some of the fun stuff, like the moment whenever he's just kind of throwing on this voice and it's like, today we're going to talk like this. Yeah. Just, like, little stuff like that that you know people do when they're goofing around. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't seem like, oh, he's, like, too funny to be a real person. He's just, like, if you knew him, he'd probably be, like, your funniest friend. Mm -hmm. um, I also really liked, um, one of my favorite parts is their friends and the scene when they're, like, on their double date. <laughs> and... Yes, that that got the biggest laugh out of me in the whole movie. Like when they jump in the cab, right? Yeah, because yeah. they they each have the this moment where um, Sally pulls Carrie Fisher aside and says, "You know, it's it's okay if, if you see the guy uh, Jess. Um, just don't just don't go into it right away because <laughs> Harry's kind of vulnerable right now." And then yeah. it cuts over to Harry and Jess, and Harry's like, you know, it's okay that, that you see Mar uh, Marie, just don't <laughs> give it about a week, because Sally's kind of vulnerable right now. And then they're like, uh, you know, I don't feel like walking. I think I'm going to catch a cab. <laughs> hey, I'll come with you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, that the timing of that whole scene is perfect. Yeah. Um. Um, well, I wanted to talk about, I guess, the the finale of it, unless you have something earlier in the movie you wanted to talk about. Um, no, not not that I can think of. I, I mean, uh, I, I thought that Carrie Fisher just as a whole was kind of a, a nice surprise. Like, I know I've, I've seen her in quite a few, uh, or in a handful of various things outside of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, like, she really... You watch this, and never once do you think, like, Princess Leia. Yeah. No, not at all. She's so funny in this. Yeah. Like, especially the, the moment, like, whenever they're, um, the, her and Jess move in together, and the scene with, the, like, the wagon wheel the coffee table. table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, I was gonna bring up the finale, um, start, I guess it sort of starts, you know, when they finally sleep together and you know it's like exciting but then at the same time like it's sort of handled perfectly where they have absolutely no idea where to go from there because there's no turning back mm -hmm. um and then the lead up to you know new year's eve like did you like how it all turned out like i know it's sort of like when it enters like supreme rom-com territory with that big finale like um 
it's like big over the top moment with a awesome speech and everything. But did you like it? Yeah, I I did like how it ended and and it was something that I didn't realize that I had known like it, it wasn't something that I directly connected with the movie as an iconic part of the movie, but then whenever it came up I realized that I had seen that clip as well. Yeah. The, the moment where he's talking about all the the different things that he loves about her. Yeah. Um, it's just so cute, and I love her reaction, you know. I really hate you, Harry. Like, it just, it's so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) It just ends so perfectly. Yeah, it's one of those sweet moments that's, I mean, it's sweet, but it's, at the same time, it's real. Because it's not, it's not like the swelling music the and them running across the field to, (laughs) to embrace each other. It's just like... You know, Harry, you're a jerk, but I can live with you. You're my jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that you really enjoyed it. I was hoping so. I thought that you might. I think it's kind of a hard movie to hate. I know I showed it to my boyfriend who had never seen it, and he had a very similar reaction where he he was also very taken with it and thought it was good. Yeah, it's it's one of those that I I had known about for a long time. And I'd forgotten that this was one of Rob Reiner's films mm-hmm. until his name popped up at, at the beginning. And the, and the Princess Bride is one of my all-time favorites. So, um, yeah, it's not a huge surprise that I liked it, that I really enjoyed this. It's, it was just a matter of getting around to it. Yeah. All right. Um, well, I think that covers When Harry Met Sally. Uh, it was it was a great film, and I'm, I'm glad I got the chance to watch it. But... Uh, now it's time to, um, now we're going to take a quick break, and then whenever we come back, we are going to talk about the film that you had seen for the first time, Batman Begins. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Tansky. And I'm Dan Fogarty. Together we host the Title Pending Movie Podcast. Title Pending is a weekly show where Tank and I get together and go over what's going on in the world of movies. Each episode, folks and I take a look at the biggest new release of the week and discuss the weekend's box office data. Then we pick a topic to discuss in depth, from top tens to current issues to subjects that tie in to that week's new releases. We always do our best to entertain and enlighten, so come and check it out for good times good films check out the title pending movie podcast available on itunes stitcher radio and everywhere that quality podcasts are found all right batman begins came out in 2005 which it it came out after the uh, the more or less travesty that's uh, that was batman and robin which a lot of people think just completely destroyed the batman franchise with this extremely campy and neon take on on the film and um christopher nolan was brought in as the director who was at that time most well known for memento and he brought this um and they decided to give batman really an an origin story that he had never had before because even though there there is a, a brief bit of an origin in the Tim Burton's first Batman, it, it's just kind of briefly mentioned, and uh, he and after that he's full on Batman. And uh, of course, Adam West never really had the origin story back in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was the first time that we really got to see the the origin of this 
um, iconic character who is right up there with Superman, who who did have his origin story in the in the seventies. But this uh, this brought a very gritty and, and realistic take on on the hero, um, and you get to see his training as uh, in ninjutsu and uh, with his mentor Ra's al Ghul. Um, and it's considered one of the best superhero trilogies. Uh, well, it's as far as I can think of, it's like the only good. Uh, almost consistently good superhero trilogy at all. Yeah. And, and, and the second you ask, There's some haters yeah. for the third one, but overall I would say it's definitely considered one of, like, probably the best. Alright, so before I ask you what you thought of it, uh, I, I do want to ask you, um, how is it that you've come this far and you haven't seen Batman Begins? And, and you have, if I remember right, you had seen the other two, correct? Yes. Um... So I guess when the when Batman Begins came out, I mean I would I was into movies. Well, to tell my age, um, I was 15 when Batman Begins came out, mm-hmm. and I guess it just didn't really make that big of a splash like amongst my friends and just I don't know it just didn't seem like it had the kind of like force behind it that the Dark Knight had. And when The Dark Knight was coming out, it had this huge, you know, hype around it. And I honestly never even was like, oh, I should probably go watch Batman Begins. A bunch of my friends were all just going to see The Dark Knight. And um, that was the summer after my senior year of high school. So I went and saw The Dark Knight, and I loved it. And then, you know, when The Dark Knight Rises came out, I saw that, and I really liked that one. And somehow I just never saw Batman Begins. All right. So, yeah, that's... I mean that's kind of surprising, but I I can see that. Um, I guess when I saw the other two, it didn't feel like I was necessarily missing anything because in the Dark Knight they don't even really bring up that much. The only thing you're sort of missing is like the thread with his relationship with Rachel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was pretty easy to tell what their status was at the start of the Dark Knight. And then by the time the Dark Knight Rises came out, I knew about Liam Neeson's character. Like, I already kind of knew what his whole deal was. So it didn't, I wasn't lost, like when they were talking about Ra's al Ghul in the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and that was the other thing that I was going to mention, which I, I um, I was going to ask, but I, I had also kind of forgotten that that it is more or less spoiled. <laughs> but you yeah. don't really spoil the first movie and the third and the third <laughs> movie in a trilogy. Yeah, I mean, I already knew. So, like when I watched Batman Begins, it wasn't a surprise. I mean, I knew it before I saw The Dark Knight Rises. So that shock was not something that I experienced. Right. And and if and if for some reason you haven't seen Batman Begins uh, and you're listening to this, that that surprise is in in the beginning, whenever he's training with Ra's al Ghul, he thinks Ken Watanabe is Ra's al Ghul and Liam Neeson is Ducard who's training him. And then uh, and he saves Ducard and kills Ra's al Ghul, but then he later finds out that Ducard actually is Ra's al Ghul, and that was just a misdirection. Yeah, so I was wondering, because I was doing a little, you know, background research, because I don't really know a lot about the comics, and also I feel like there's a lot of, like, different versions of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's, I, I mean, there's, 
there's several different continuities within the comics. Yeah. There's different continuities with different um, various cartoon TV shows. Um, there's several different animated movies which have their own continuities with yeah. them. And so, then, of course, the movies all have their own different continuities. <laughs> yeah, so I read that, like, Ducard was not, like, a cover for Ra's al Ghul. Like, that was sort of an invention for this movie, right? Mm-hmm. As, so, as far as I know, because I've, yeah. I've also mentioned a few times that I don't really closely follow the comics. Um, yeah. My my experiences, especially with Batman, is the movies, the 90s TV series, and then all the, the animated movies. Okay. Because I was wondering if, when it came out, if, like, comic book, like, people knew that it was going to be that twist, or if they sort of took it at face value that he really was Ducard, or a version of Ducard. Yeah, I I think, uh, from what I remember, this was, and it's actually a similar kind of twist as far as the Mandarin goes, because um, Ken Watanabe is done up to look like how, uh, well, at least a little bit more closely to how... Uh, Raz al Ghul looks in in the comics and, and the cartoons, which mm-hmm. which that's uh, which one thing I I will mention that that bugs me a little bit because I I did grow up with the '90s cartoon series, and the and he is a uh, a recurring character in there, and they always pronounced his name as Raish al Ghul <laughs> instead of Raz al Ghul, and so I've I prefer the Raish al Ghul uh, pronunciation. Just because that's that's what I was introduced to, so it's always weird for me to hear them refer to him as Raz Al Ghul. Yeah, but he does. But Ken Watanabe does look more like the Raz Al Ghul character. Yeah, um, that he's been been known as, and um, it, it did. It does feel like a, a similar switch, like they do with the Mandarin in Iron Man Three but not nearly as blatant and it actually makes a lot more sense within this continuity so that I, I don't remember there being like any outrage of it yeah. so there might have been like a small pocket but not that i can remember and it's pretty much all gone by now yeah um, um well i'll say that i definitely liked batman begins i was i kind of thought that i was going to feel like i i didn't think i was going to enjoy it a lot just because I'm sort of going back mm. and watching it like after I've already seen what's come after so I thought it might just be sort of all right I'm getting through this but I actually found it to be pretty interesting especially the first half when it's like super focused on like the origin story and there's the inner cutting between his training and him as a child and him as a college aged like when he like when he mm. decides to leave Right. Um, so I found all that to be really interesting, and I liked all, of, like, the little details of, um, like, when you kind of can see, like, oh, like, I know he's, like, becoming this character of Batman when, for instance, when, um, Liam Neeson's, like, you know, you have to kill this person as, like, your final, um, you know, part of your training, and in my head I'm going, Batman doesn't kill people, like, mm-hmm. he's not gonna kill this guy, and then when he says, like, you know, he won't kill him, it was sort of one of those, yes, like, I he, I can, like, get excited about, about it. Yeah, uh, even though he does, like, it, he does end up killing a large number of the, the League of Shadows, and, and it's quite, yeah. even quite possible, whenever you think about it, it, that that person did die in the explosion that he was supposed to kill. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's definitely true, but I mean, I guess you're supposed to ignore some of these uh, details. <laughs> um, I also thought it was funny, this is totally jumping around, but you know in The Dark Knight Rises how people always complain that he spent all that time putting up the like gasoline, like fire <laughs> logo mm. on the bridge? Well, I thought the same, I, I mean, it made me think of that when he, you know, straps, um, oh, fuck, now I can't remember. Falcone. Falcone, yeah. When he straps him to the light. I'm like, so all these guys just sat around while he tied him to the light. Um, and it just reminded me of that, even though it's still cool. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm not a nitpicker when it comes to these movies. Um, I know there's plenty that can be pointed out, but they're fun, so I will give them a pass. Yeah, the, I mean, the, I think, um, which I'll get to it a couple of episodes down down the line, but I, I think it's easier to make, nitpick The Dark Knight Rises um just because there's i mean there there's some problems with that but i think this one and also especially for the whole series it's a little bit easier to to nitpick this whenever you think about it too deeply just because it does take itself so seriously yeah to where it's there isn't as much fun but i i do like the the few moments of fun that that comes off here here and there like especially uh morgan freeman as lucius fox mm-hmm. is definitely one of the great characters in here and yeah. i don't remember i i think he may have had been in some comics but he wasn't a well-known character oh that's interesting i i really like his character and i like the whole um him like basically like suiting up um bruce wayne and just kind of like turning a blind eye to it Mm-hmm. And being like, don't tell me, because then I won't have to lie when I get questioned. Yeah, but don't take me for an idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I really like that character. But I think that um, Michael Caine deserves such a VIP award for this whole series. Like, yeah. he is just so perfect in that role. Yeah, and and he, he has another one of my favorite moments. Uh, whenever they're in the burning building, and he, like, tries to, to help bruce up and and he can't lift it and he's like come on what what are you doing all these push-ups for if you can't even lift a, a little log <laughs> yeah um I, yeah i really like the relationship between the two of them because he obviously like cares a lot about him but he's not afraid to like you Put know his place yes he needs exactly yeah, and he also he also had a, another he had some of the best lines too. Like in in the beginning, whenever Bruce finally comes home, and he's like, uh, and he's talking about how he's been declared dead, and like all the stock options. Um, he's like, well, I'm glad I left everything to you, Alfred. And yeah. he just leans back smugly, and he's like, yeah, well, um, it's good to have you back, and you can you can borrow the roles if you like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I just think he's so good in that role, and I know there were some, um, you know, little cheers for him, like, in The Dark Knight Rises, because he has a really emotional scene in that, where people were like, oh, please give him, like, a supporting actor nod for, like, the work he's done in this series, because it's just so good. Yeah. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not a Christian Bale hater, but I also don't really get that excited about him. Like, I think he's fine as Batman, but, um, like... Whenever Michael Caine shows up, I'm like, yes. 
And and one thing that that this movie got a lot of flack for, which was toned down a little bit for the the later two movies, is his Batman voice, like like I used to open the show with. Yeah. Was it oh, was it so noticeable? Easy to make fun of it. Yeah, like swore to me. <laughs> um, yeah. Overall, I mean, it, it, and also another person um who I just love. Even though his villain in this, is, I mean, he's cool, but he's not, like, nearly the dominating force that, like, the Joker, Bane, or even, like, Two-Face are, is, um, I love, like, Killian Murphy. Yeah. Um, as an actor, so just seeing him be, like, kind of unhinged in this role was fun, and I liked the idea of the Scarecrow quite a bit. Yeah, um, and he, the Scarecrow as a character was was one of my favorites uh, from the 90s uh, animated series. He had some great episodes. Um, and they, I think Kelly Murphy re- really sells it here. Like, I, I've been a big fan of, of his ever since seeing 28 Days Later. Yeah. Yeah, he's so good. I, I hope that he... I mean, I think he's, you know, got some gotten some really good work, but I feel like he's underrated still. Yeah, I feel like... He's kind of dropped off the the face of Hollywood lately. I I can't think of anything notable that he's been in recently. Yeah, that's true. Is he in? Is he going to be an Interstellar? I don't know. I'm not sure, but I liked how he pops up in um like later down the line and everything, and like when he shows up in the Dark Knight Rises as the judge or whatever during mm-hmm. Bane's takeover. Um, that's cool that he just you know hangs about. He yeah. doesn't need to be you know like arrested or anything. Um, and then, um, what did you think about Rachel Dawes in, in this movie? Because that that's been uh, a point of contention for for some fans, uh, where it was Katie Holmes in this movie, and then Maggie Gyllenhaal in the second movie. Well, I'll say that I don't have anything against Katie Holmes specifically, but I kind of didn't buy her necessarily, like as a DA or like in this specific role. It just, I just couldn't completely buy it, um, but I didn't hate her in it. I thought, in general, like, the role was kind of just not used to its full potential. Like, I don't think it was written, like, necessarily that well. And, I, I mean, it was fine, but I just felt like the role could have been a little better. Not necessarily Katie specifically, but just the role. And, like, in um, The Dark Knight, I never really got the full impact of, you know what happens to Rachel because the character just seemed kind of lost in the world. I thought Mm -hmm. like it's supposed to be such a big part of like Bruce in the dark Knight, But even at the end of Batman begins, like I don't get the sense that he is like passionate, has passionate feelings towards her. Like I know he really cares about her and like wants to protect her and save her and everything, but But not so much that he would childhood friend. And and not so much that he would, stop uh, he would become a hermit for eight years after she died yeah yeah pretty much i think that that relationship could have been done better yeah and and i i do agree that uh, overall throughout the whole series rachel dawes is kind of a, a weaker character than she could be but at the same time i do think that i prefer katie holmes a little bit better than maggie gyllenhaal uh, but like she does have a, a couple of scenes that that I like, like um, the scene with the I guess college age Bruce Wayne, whenever 
she uh, slaps him and, and then waits a couple seconds and then slaps him twice. Yeah. Uh, that that was a, a nice little moment. Um, what did you think about the um, the climax with the with the whole plot with the microwave transmitter and and the fear gas? I mean, for a movie that's so grounded, it's kind of a little too silly because it seems like such a like cartoony cartoonish premise yeah and something that i yeah something i noticed this time around which which i might have noticed in the past but it it feels like it it suddenly becomes a bit of a roland emmerich disaster movie (laughs) because you keep cutting between like the the train carrying the microwave transmitter and then you're cutting to the the uh sanitation worker in the in the center of the city like talking about how it's getting closer to the main power supply the main water supply and, yeah. and that'll then it'll cover the entire city and it's just them looking at this uh display it's like we need to evacuate or else this whole place is going to blow but instead they just keep looking at the screen <laughs> yeah um i mean it ended up like working fine but it was it just felt a little too cartoonish for how serious the movie was mm-hmm yeah, because this is uh, often considered to be one of the more grounded superhero movies, since it, it doesn't have doesn't really have all these science fiction superpowers. It, it's all grounded in, yeah. in science and technology, uh, even though it's like science and technology pushed to their limits. But it it still has the this thread of of reality that it's clinging to, and yeah. whenever it does get whenever it does maybe push past those limits that then it's it is a nitpick that that is easy to make yeah as far as keeping it grounded i will i really like the part when he first goes to gordon's office and then they're sort of chasing him off the roof and he jumps across and just like knocks the wind out of himself mm-hmm. like it was really funny to just see him in that sort of situation where he was not prepared at all and like actually hurt himself Right, like it's still some. It's still like the one of Batman's early mistakes, but it's at the end. It was something that he was still able to to kind of handle and improvise. Yeah. Even if it didn't work out a hundred percent. Um. One other thing was that I like had seen all the people like point out the fact that um, the actor who played Joffrey on Game of Thrones was the little kid. And I always saw him referred to, oh, Joffrey's the little kid in Batman, and I had absolutely no idea what anyone was talking about. But I got to watch it for the first time with the knowledge that he was going to become the most evil king of Westeros there ever was. So uh, I've, I, uh, I'm not a Game of Thrones watcher, but like that kid came up, and I, I was like, he looks familiar. I, yeah. I'm sure I've seen him in something else, but uh, I guess I've seen him in all those uh, Game of Thrones uh, ads. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's that's always it's always interesting some of those connections. Yeah. Um, let's see one one last thing that that I do want to mention because we we've, we've kind of brought him up, but um, not a whole lot. But what about um, Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon? He really fits that part just perfectly. I mean, he pretty much fits any part perfectly, so it's not exactly a surprise. But it definitely, you know, having a movie that's supposed to be this, like, serious, like, super well-done, like, well-crafted 
um, superhero movie, to have the clout of, like, someone like Gary Oldman, it really helps. Because it's not just, like, some random guy or, like, kind of B-rated actor they just throw in there. Like, they went for, you know, the best they could. I mean, even the part doesn't even demand everything that Gary Oldman could do. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, still overall, it, it's a fairly small role. Yeah. And then, um, like, one of my favorite scenes still, I, even though it, it, it it's another one of those that kind of borders on the ridiculous, but the chase scene with the tumbler. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I was watching that, I was like, okay, I know these police officers, you know, shouldn't be against Batman because Batman's doing good. But Batman is destroying, like, (laughs) so much city property, it's not even funny. Like, that is actually illegal. So it was kind of like, you're flipping all these cop cars, like, in the name of, you know, your vigilante, like, good deeds. But, like, you're completely ruining everything. Yeah, he's doing these, like, thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage to the police cars and... To the city and the and the roofs and yeah, all this I, I stuff. He, even though he does kind of like he ex- explains it off because he was trying to save Rachel's life. Yeah, I love how he like rolls over like a police car with actual police officers in the seats. I'm like, how do you know that's not going <laughs> to kill them? You're yeah. not supposed to kill people, Batman. What are you doing? <laughs> And then um, another one of my favorite like little bits of comedy is whenever he does the the whole drunken speech, the fake drunken speech, which oh yeah, is a it, it's a great moment to to make you. It really sells the point that the movie is trying to sell. That Rachel points out at the end that Bruce, that Batman isn't his mask anymore. Batman is who he is, yeah. and Bruce Wayne is this mask that he puts on for the yeah. public. I, I do really like that. It, it's also, like, with... I kept getting whiffs of, like, American Psycho whenever his hair was, like, <laughs> slicked back and he was in a suit. And when he's, like, showing up to a restaurant with two women, I'm like, that could be Patrick Bateman. <laughs> not sure. Like, anyone that looks like Christian Bale is either secretly a serial killer or Batman. <laughs> one or the other. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, all right, well, is there anything... Um, any final thoughts for Batman Begins? All I'll say is that I'm gl- really glad that I finally watched it, and it did definitely add to the trilogy. Um, and I think now that I've watched this, I would like to go back and rewatch the next two and see how it really builds upon everything that Batman Begins did first. All right. Well, um, hopefully, if you do, uh, it, it would be great if if you decide to do that before. The next time you come on, and we can discuss with uh, all four of us in, in these uh, these three episodes, so we can talk about the the trilogy again as a whole in a uh, future film wise extra after okay. we finish these. Sounds good. Right. I'm actually surprised. Like I can see someone not seeing Batman Begins because I haven't, mm. and I could see someone not seeing Dark Knight Rises because it's the last one. But I didn't know there was a person who hadn't seen The Dark Knight. That's yeah. a really surprising one to me. There was one other one that that I had actually scheduled earlier earlier on in in the show, but uh, he and the scheduling fell through and he just kind of disappeared. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, I believe he had seen Batman Begins, but he didn't watch the other two. Hmm. Interesting. 
All right. Well, thank you for uh, coming back to the FilmWise. And why don't you go ahead and remind everybody where they can find you online? Thank you for having me. You can find me and our fellow contributors at FrenchToastSunday.com, where you can also find our podcast. And we are on Twitter at FTS Tweets. All right. And as always, I am Bubba Wheat from FlightsTightsMovieNights.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Bubba Wheat. And you can find the show at FilmWise.com. And you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and on Podomatic, where you can get the RSS feed if you listen to it through other means. And if, and, uh, and as always, if you want to know what two films we'll, we will be talking about on the next regular episode, which you already know one of them will be The Dark Knight, go ahead and listen through to the end for the mashup trailer. Until next time. Here we go. We're tonight's entertainment. I really hope that I can entertain you just the same. Well, hello, beautiful. Excuse me, who are you? <laughs> Don't worry, Mima, it'll be all right. Any psychotic ex-boyfriends I should be aware of? Oh, you have no idea. Excuse me, who are you? Excuse me, who are you?